We mentioned in a previous podcast about emotional IQ. And one. We are live. It's so nice to see you again, Shmuley, right before Pesach. But mental health is so important, especially especially in a time like Pesach. So um, it's a reason enough to push through and to get this done. Shmuel, I'm here. I want to hear the questions. I want to give the answers. And I hope that this recording comes out clear. Okay. These are questions I put together just today. Thanks for being so organized about it. You're welcome. Not for you, this wouldn't be possible. What is emotional stability? Emotional stability. What What is emotional stability? The research has been done that this is the common denominator, the common theme between all great leaders. For example, Winston Churchill. What was his outstanding feature? Emotional IQ. What is emotional IQ? IQ is really intelligence quotient, which is, seems to be the opposite of emotional. But it's really telling you, are you emotionally aware? Are you in tune with your emotions? Being in tune with our emotions has a direct connection to our attachment. Bowlby and Ainsworth, two, two leaders, two trailblazers in, th- in psychology, realize that when a child is in the early developmental stages, they create an attachment to those who, to those who care for them. And this can be compared to, let's say the child is a planet. And, okay, and if this is not the way it is, you know, according to Turner, we're just using it as a muscle, as an example, the sun and the planets. But let's say, for argument's sake, that the sun is in the middle of the solar system, a child is like the planets going around, or one planet going around the sun, and the sun is a center of gravity. We spoke about center of gravity previously, so we're just using an example for it. Or you can say the opposite way, the third way, that the earth is in the middle, everything surrounds the earth. But it's that center where, every, where everything gravitates towards, that's the parent, that's the caregiver. The Think about the sun, it gives light, sunlight, warmth, helps things grow, just like a parent. So the ch- if the parent is not connected properly, right? For example, some places in Alaska, it's dark, oh, whatever, you know, six months a year, eight months a year, whatever, yeah. or in Siberia. Yeah. Those places are not healthy places for people to live. Where's healthy place, right? The best place is the equator. Weather's picture perfect. It's never too cold, always nice and sunny. That's like perfect attachment. Their center of gravity is so rock solid it's an example for if a building has a very powerful foundation that even the strongest wind can't, blow, can't knock it down. When you are in a safe and secure place, when the weather is great, you can grow. You can say, how am I doing? You're not fighting for your survival. Remember where we spoke about the hierarchy of needs. If someone's always fighting for their physiological needs just to be safe, they can be in tune with their emotions. Emotion, so, emotion is really the third stage in the hierarchy of needs. We're talking about attachment, which creates a healthy sense of self that a person is grounded. The person knows that they're safe, that they're physically safe and, and, and socially safe and emotionally safe. When you're not worried about your, your existence, you're not trying to keep yourself alive emotionally. When you're secure, which attachment creates, a secure attachment creates a secure person, 
then we can build, then we can be in touch with our emotions. We can be in tune, we can explore, we can discover about our emotions. But think about people who live in Siberia. Their only thing in life is to survive. Get the firewood, heat up the water, yeah. keep the car running, never turn it off because it's not going to be able to turn on again because it's minus 80 below, you know, 80 Celsius or Fahrenheit, whatever. Just surviving. So, yes, you know, I want to go into another concept of post-Holocaust. Those are survivors. Those are all trauma victims. We know that now. And if your parent is a child of a Holocaust survivor, they were directly impacted in that survival mode, trying to just survive. We're not in that world anymore. We're in the world of growth. Yeah. Our job to learn how to communicate that comfort, that safety, that physiological safety, that social safety, that emotion, emotional safety. Once a person is safe in all these areas, then you can look into your into yourself and say, "Where? What am I feeling? What am I experiencing emotionally?" It's an adventure, That's an emotional adventure, just like figuring out the. Figuring out the most complex idea is an adventure. Back and forth, teasing it out until finally the pureness of an idea comes. person reaches the, the truth, the absolute truth, uh -huh. emotionally as well. We're, I know we're speaking a little bit abstract, but we'll get to the nitty-gritty as, you know, as, uh, as this session goes on. Okay. Emotional stability, you're saying, comes when your physiological needs are taken care of. Then you can move up into the tier of steam. Steam just means that you're sort of mentally and emotionally, cognitively, psychologically safe. It means it's it's still connected with safety. That you know no one's gonna bully you, for example, even emotionally. But emotional emotions, the next stage in the in the hierarchy, is you're exploring your emotions. You're on the journey of your emotions. So emotional stability. It's connected with your emotional IQ because when it's the main thing, the main component of emotional stability is your emotional awareness. How am I doing? How, who do I love? How much do I love them? It's a real question. It's not just something that we read about in fantasy novels and in plays. It's something that we can all experience. The journey that never ends because you can... You can fine-tune it more to higher perfection and better and more ground and, and stronger. Think about a guy like Winston Churchill, who you mentioned earlier. He had to face the, the hardest decision that almost nobody else faced in their life. And he, it's, not, it's not like a doctor who doesn't care and says, you know, we'll chop a phone leg and save the person's life. No, that doctor has zero emotional IQ in this sense of the person. He's just thinking about how can he make... How can he make, you know, how can he properly do his job? That's not emotional IQ. But a, a, a guy who's, who has a German at his front door and he makes decisions like that to, to care for his, for, for the nation, the English nation and, 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 and America and, and, and with that to keep America safe. Someone who has to make those hard decisions and their emotions get involved, they involve their emotions and they take into consideration how am I going to feel? That never ends. That journey never ends. No, you could trust a feeling. You should trust a feeling. Well, not all feelings. How do you know which feelings to trust? That's your emotional IQ. You're, you're demonstrating that, you're, that you have room to grow. And I have room to grow.
But it's up to a point where the same way you look at your hand and say, I know I have five fingers, even without looking at your hand, mm-hmm. you can grow to a point where you know exactly how you're feeling and you already you learn which emotions are the healthier ones and which ones are de- detrimental. It's something that needs practice. It's, it's like a muscle. It's literally the expression of the heart. Your heart is actually a muscle, as we know. The more you flex that emotional muscle, and how do you start with that? Think about the people who are closest to you. Maybe it's a best friend, which is sometimes the easier way to learn about your emotions more than your parents and your siblings, because the parents and siblings probably gave you a hard time when you were younger. So even though, like we spoke before about attachment, if you're, even if your parents gave you an excellent attachment, a secure attachment, and, and you feel good in everything you do, but sometimes that secure attachment comes with boundaries and you felt a little pushed away. But a friend who's always there for you, no matter what, in the same age group, you can think, hey, I like this person. I really like this person. They're there for me no matter what. Then you can think about your parents, how they stayed up nights for you. Your mother gave birth to you and you can start feeling those emotions start, you know, start tingling in your body. You feel this. It's, a lot of people, when I discuss this in therapy, they say, it's a weird feeling. And the explanation, why is it weird? Because it's a new feeling that you never felt before. So your, your brain is calling it weird. What feeling are you referring to? It's a physical weird? sensation. It's, a, it's like an awareness. It's like an emotional awareness. I, an example. I Give me an do, example. One example is thankfulness. Thankfulness is, is part of an emotion. When you feel in your heart, oh my goodness, my parents stayed up nights for me. They gave all their money for me to be healthy and safe and for me to go to a good school. And they got me everything I needed to have, you know, even if, you know, if you wanted a prize or something, or they gave you allowance, that's their hard-earned money. They were right. given over to you. And that thankfulness is a, it's more of a basic emotion, but it's something that we can, that's a starting point for everybody. It's like the starting line in a race. If you're feeling thankful, then you're already in the game. So you're already on the journey. So th- being thankful means you have to, being thankful is an emotion. Or you have it's to be part of an emotion. You have to be able to feel in order to be thankful. Feeling is thankfulness. One of the one one of the first one of the options for a first step. But, but without feelings, you, you can't you can't be a good person. Really, you're saying you can't if you can't be grateful. You can't have feelings. You can be grateful. Then what are you? Who are you? You're asking a very essential question here. Very deep question. Yeah. Because you're saying you can't be a good person. Now that's very tricky. Because some people will do anything nice for a lot of other people. Oh, hold on. But what if those are just learned behaviors? You're the asking heart. about the person himself. The person but himself. But that means the person on an emotional level. We are emotional beings. And we learn Chabad Chassidus, Chabad philosophy. It teaches us a person is an emotional being. Chesed, Gevor, Tiferes, Netzachid, Yisrael, Malachos. Seven out of the ten are emotions. We use the mind, we use the brain to direct and to organize the emotions, to get the person on the journey, the tools to be on the journey. But it's an emotional journey. So now that we just discussed how important emotions are, if someone is not feeling that he can express emotions or he's not feeling any emotions... When you're feeling vulnerable, you can feel thankful. Vulnerable is even more external than, uh, than thankfulness. Or similar similar sense. It's just that your 
hard and your is open and your brain is not putting a defense mechanism. That's how they're similar. Your brain is saying, I can relax and I allow my heart to feel this. Sometimes it's vulnerability, sometimes it's thankfulness. That's just the external point of the emotion. And then from there you go on the journey to feel love, fear, true feelings. What would you tell him the way to develop that? And the first step is really to be aware that there are emotions and they are real. That's People the are aware. first step. Let's talk about it for, for a second now. I have a beautiful painting on the wall. Yeah. Look at it. Let your mind wander. How does... Looks beautiful. Looks beautiful. That's a non-emotional response. Or that's a cognitive response. That's yeah. just, you know... That's a look. But, the question but now... Is, how it, does it make you feel? What is it a painting of? That's the ocean. It's the ocean. So... So let, let your mind... Put, put, put down your guard and let yourself imagine that you're there. Now tell me a little bit about how you feel. It feels very relaxing, actually. Relaxing. Relaxing is actually not an emotion, but it's... You're getting there. It, that good? That's really the external tip of emotions. What did you say before? It's beautiful? That's not emotional. Calm? Not yet, but on the track. Good? good. That's just the beginning of it. Then... As you you close your eyes and the thoughts you, the thoughts calm down, they stop pounding at your head. Mm-hmm. The thoughts just slow down, and you can start being aware of feeling. And this just reminds me of an example of people who go into this quiet room, the quietest place on earth they have in Seattle, Washington. I think it's Microsoft that has this room. They test sound devices. Oh yeah, I understand. It's negative decibels, <laughs> meaning yeah, even if. You, even away. if there's a, there's a quiet, there's a, there's a low sound, you'll hear nothing. Exactly. Because it, it absorbs exactly. some sound. And there, they say after a few minutes, most people can't last after more than 5-10 minutes because it's so quiet. Our bodies and minds are used to that never-ending barrage of thoughts pounding on our head and distracting us from being present in the moment. This silence forces you to be in the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting, I just read a story about a sailor who, uh, who, a sailor who wanted peace and quiet after a full year at sea, he stayed there for a full hour and they couldn't believe it. But, uh, I mean, he's on one of those, I'm sure that was a good detox for him, but... Um, hold, on, hold on, so you're saying that, it's okay, come on. You're saying that the first, in order to introduce yourself to the world of feeling, the first introduction would be to feel good. That will bring you. But how did you feel good? First, you, you needed to silence. It will set up. It will, it will fr- give you the framework by which you can now experience the emotion. So good yes. is the entrance to feelings. It's one. Yeah, it's one of the stages of getting there. Sorry for interrupting you. I just want. I'm just trying to. I don't. I want it to be accurate for on the recording. But good is a start. But the first step would be even earlier than that. Like I said before, is. Put yourself in a space where you can be free of distraction. And the mind can just relax. A little bit like hypnotherapy, but it's not really hypno. It's just being calm. And then, like you, even just yourself, just look at this picture. You're able to travel, be in a calm state. And then you will slowly but surely be able to be more in touch with the deeper and deeper levels. Uh, and finally, after feeling good, you would start, you'd be, you'd start to feel... An emotion of, let's say, happiness. 
Possibly. Yes, because that's you're in a happy state. And that's a true emotion. Good is not yet a true emotion. Happiness is a real true emotion. And from there, once you feel what a real emotion is and you experience it, you can go on and try to duplicate that in its own way in other emotions. Correct. Thinking about someone else who you're not supposed to be with is not an inappropriate feeling. Acting on it would be inappropriate. It's actually a natural feeling. The feeling is very appropriate and we want to direct it towards the right, in the right place. The thought shouldn't be thrown away because whatever we push away, it becomes like a rubber band and it just jumps right back at, at us. That's how it operates? That's how it operates. Can you explain that a little bit more? It's interesting. This is really interesting. So it's actually based on paradox psychology, by, which is an old form of psychology, but it's been pushed on the back burner uh, due to newer modalities, which are very documentation-based, like CBT and ABA. So these, uh, these, this modality was pushed to the back because people couldn't, to the back burner because people couldn't figure out exactly how it works, and it's counterintuitive. But now, <laughs> but after that background, what is it? If you have a thought. And you push it away, it's going to bounce back at you harder. So if you have a thought that's inappropriate, which a, a thought about an inappropriate action, you can say, okay, and let's say I don't do it, or I do do it. doesn't matter. We, we avoid the conflict. How do you avoid the conflict? You say, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Like, for example, let me give you, let me give you a simple example, right? Let's say someone comes over to you and says, let's drop a bank together. You get a little funny and you say, I'm okay, I'd rather not. Thank you, have a great day. That's an appropriate response to such a thought. You say, I'm okay. Versus? Versus, oh no, this is bad. I must be a bad person if I had this thought. I better push it away. And we start you know, getting involved and thinking about it more, about how to push it away. That's not helpful in any way. It's putting down, it's lowering your self-esteem, right? When someone comes to you and says, let's drop a bank together, and you say, oh, I'm sorry, sir, I, <laughs> that's highly inappropriate. I don't think I'll be doing that this afternoon. You feel good about yourself. You feel like that guy's a wacko, and you're, and you're done, and then you forget about it five seconds later. You might speak about it by dinner table later that evening, but it's not enmeshed in your brain. It's not embedded. It's not a, something that you're working with. As opposed to if you push it away, it brings down your self-esteem. You feel like feel bad, like you're not doing the right thing. Okay, yeah. Which, which is no reason for that. So I know that when it comes to emotions, the way to deal with emotions, especially negative emotions, is you allow it to pass through you, like allow water. Pass through. Exactly. Is that the same way? Is that is that the same way that you treat thoughts? When you have a bad thought. Do you allow it to pass through you like you would allow emotion to pass well, through Well, pass through you is a little bit vague, right? Pass, pass through, through you. means allow yourself to feel everything that's happening and also know that it's going to pass with the time. Exactly. Today, tomorrow. That's accurate. That's what we said before about the emotion. The emotion itself, that feeling, that desire. Go, it's going to dissolve. That desire, you just, I call allow. it, yeah, like you walk into it. You said, let it pass through. The same thing. You're just walk into it, and it and just rushes. Yeah, and it just over time it does. It just it goes away, uh, or just it's, it becomes. Oh, it's okay. That's me. That's my life. But that's 
not bad, not good. It's just a fact of life, this emotion. The thought itself, look at it just like you were. You would look at it like, like I brought the example before. Someone walks up to you, tells you a wacky thing. Doesn't bother you, doesn't... Okay. And if you want to do it, if you, you know, oh my God, I've been waiting to have a bank for years. Let's do this. That's okay. That's your thought. You know, that's up to you how what you're going to do about it. But the response to the thought is natural. If someone who's not healthy, his response would be, Oh no, when someone does not have a healthy attachment. See, this is a good opportunity to connect why we brought attachment before. Oh, why didn't, why do I think this bad thought? Because I'm not a bad person. That person who feels that way has an insecure attachment to themselves. Yes. You're not trusting your, your own self. You're saying that you're not accepting your own body, your own because, thoughts and feelings. Because if you would accept yourself, you know that, that, that that's okay. Things happen. No biggie. On the subject of emotional stability, I ask, how would parents help children develop emotional stability? So the answer to that, it's a big question. You gotta start, you start from before day one, when the baby's still unborn. You gotta, can't, if the parents are calm, the parents do not get into conflict during the pregnancy, that creates a more secure. Baby. What kind of conflict are you referring to? Any saying? conflict, finances, someone did a bad thing or was perceived as bad by one of the partners. Are you going to confront your pregnant wife or, or are you going to confront your husband while you're pregnant? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to say, you know what? It's out of my control at this point in time and it's not going to be a conflict because I have a baby here who needs to, who needs to be secure and not feel conflict. A negative conflict. Right. There are positive conflicts. Like, for example, if you're trying to understand something on a deeper level, trying to work harder, for example, working out, being going to the gym, having a healthy body, that's a conflict, right? It's a healthy conflict. It's a healthy conflict. So there right. are healthy conflicts. A dialogue, right? A, 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 a conversation, a discussion with two opposing opinions, that's healthy conflict. But, that, long, but what happens in most couples' arguments and conflicts is just... Screw, just, you know, rage, just upsetness, negative feelings being thrown at one another without any healthy outcome in sight. So that's really, then for sure after birth. Yes, yes, yes. For the parent to, to let that baby know from day one, I'm here for you, mom is here for you, daddy's here for you. We are going to care for you and to make it a priority. And even if your friends say, whoa, you're late to work, man. You know, you used to always be punctual, now you're late. Or you used to never always stay late, now you're leaving early. 4.45, you used to always leave at 5.30. What's with you? You know, I need to be there for the feeding time, whatever. My baby, I need to get ta- connect with my baby before he goes for, for, to sleep. Creating that priority in our life is creating healthy children. Correct. If other things are priority, hanging out with our friends even... Or work, or sometimes even learning, that can be a direct or indirect cause for unhealthy attachment, insecure attachment in our children, and that will hinder them from developing a secure emotional stability. 
So in other words, the parents themselves need to have emotional stability exactly. in order to create that environment of trust and security for the children Think to have and for them to be able to develop their own emotional stability. I would say more overarching, not just basic, but all-inclusive. Think about the example we said before about the solar system. Right? Imagine the sun is the two parents and everything is good and balanced. Yeah. And the orbits just go every... Right, so imagine there are seven children just you know, floating around there and doing their own thing. This is in a perfect world, though. The question becomes, what happens when parents are not emotionally stable themselves, not emotionally healthy themselves, and yet they have kids? I wanted us to actually answer a question which, even if emotionally stable or people with high emotional intelligence, high emotional IQ, even if they get into conflict, and that could be, because we're human. The key to, to this, to, to saving the situation, is just being sorry and saying, I'm sorry. Why? If you have that, right after a conflict, we have in, halak- in Jewish law, halakha, within a few seconds, or within a minute, or even let's say within five minutes, say, I'm so sorry. Let's all get together, even if mommy's there, and if it's a young baby, and say, I'm sorry. That... And, and it's a true, genuine, and vulnerable sorry that will undo the damage if it's done immediately. Why? Why is that sorry so powerful? Think about a stroke For victim. All the narcissists out there. Think about. Why is saying sorry so powerful? Think about a stroke victim. Yeah. If we get oxygen to the brain, or we get the we unclog the blood clot, there's zero damage long term. The only difference is the time, right? So even if someone waits ten minutes, let's say, they can have back to almost 100%, 99.99%, you know, cognitive function, and maybe after a few years, 100% back. Full, full, full <laughs> fixing it. But if you're waiting 30 minutes or more, it's time to say goodbye. Vegetable time. <laughs> time for a salad, you know? So that's the same thing with saying sorry. It's a perfect example. Okay. You had a conflict, that's like a stroke. You say sorry right away, everything's fixed. Everything. It's like an operation. It's all fixed. It's like this, CPR. This advice is really powerful. It's extremely needed for the narcissist because narcissists can never be wrong. Therefore, they can never say sorry. Therefore, they can never make genuine connections. Therefore, they can never feel things correctly. So, how do this you, is how a do you deal with really That's important thing to talk about because why is it so hard for narcissists to say sorry? To say that they did something narcissist, wrong. A narcissist. Narcissism is a defense mechanism. Correct. Really, deep down, the person's afraid of being hurt. Correct. So when we... How do we help a narcissist? Forget about talking to a narcissist. How do you help a narcissist? Well, do you want to help a narcissist? It's so easy. You just have to model good behavior. Correct. You just Correct. have to model... Now, you again, be, be that if they're really, really traumatized, again, because fear comes from trauma, so there must have been a trauma in the person's life, or in utero, maybe when the... Baby was still unborn. There was a trauma to the mom, and that creates that safety, the need for safety, and then narcissism develops from from day one or before. So we want to model healthy behavior all around the narcissist. We want to say, "Hey, I'm sorry." We want to do that as many times as possible. All the narcissists that are listening now, how will you help them be able to understand the emotion of being sorry and being able, being able to say sorry. If you feel like you're always right, you're cuckoo. then you're cuckoo. you should know it's true 
You're right. However, however, in order for, in order, so cognitively you are right. You're correct on a brain level, on a intellectual level. level. Subjective level. Let's say you're right according to all opinions intellectually, but emotionally you're wrong. It's a new world. Welcome to the world of emotions. Like they say in John Gray, John Gray PhD's book, Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Different planet, different world. So for to meet the person where they're at, it, whether it's your spouse or your friend or your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, they're in living in the world of emotions. So you can know you're right and write it down and say, on this day, at this time, I said this, I made this prediction and everyone's arguing with me and we'll see who's right. Ha ha. And keep it folded. Make sure you take a picture of it, save it in your file because you're going to prove them wrong. And now say sorry. In order to keep the family together, in order that to create that healthy feeling of balance in the home, in order to create healthy people with healthy uh, emotions and a secure attachment. And that's what's going to keep your family, that's what's going to keep your family in high esteem. It's going to keep your family healthy. If a person says, I'm a perfectionist, right? you want me to be honest with you? Yeah. What do you have to hide? Why are you, what are you hiding behind the wall of perfection? Because the truth is you're not perfect. So why are you saying that you're a perfectionist? 